a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship out. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. And this is Star Wars Monthly Monday number 21. Can you believe it? And we are going to start off the show with some gloating. Gloat, gloat, gloat. Mine, mine, mine. Mine, 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 mine. Gimme, 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 me, me, me. Yes. Mine, pretty. Pretty. Precious. Oh, precious. Yes, I got some, an eBay item in the mail today. Star Wars Weekly number one from the UK from February 8, 1978. Right down to a specific date, and underneath it says every Wednesday. And then it says, you know how they always say, like, fabulous first issue or collectible first issue? This one says valuable first issue. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, of course, the cover of the Marvel Star Wars number one, except Darth Vader is in green. And um, just a side note, I just won for 99 cents five more of these from the same people that I bought this, got this from. I won this for 99 cents, too, and it ended up costing like 325 or something. You lucky, lucky bastard. Not only that, in, free inside, a cutout Star Wars X-Fighter. <laughs> Not X-Wing Fighter, but X-Fighter, Enemy Fighter next week. And it actually has the cardboard insert with the X-Fighter your Star Wars X-Fighter in it it's just beautiful it's uh it's the content of Star Wars number one with a um um Tony Zanuga inside cover oh really yeah with you know the the Luke Skywalker I want to see that Luke with his lightsaber up and Princess Leia in the like sort of Hildebrandt yeah. squat in front of him, but with it holding a laser gun. It's got Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness. A great, I love the picture of Chewbacca in it. It looks like um, he's got a 
powerful fan blowing into his face. <laughs> it's very, it's very nice. It's a collector's pinup. Oh, you need pin to scan that. I want to see that. I bet um, you that's awesome. So it's basically in black and white. The um, the first issue of Marvel Star Wars up to. Oh, let's see. I think it's to where Biggs and Luke are talking. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's to where, you know, Biggs is just sort of like, okay, well, I'm taking off. So it's right after R2 gets captured by the Jawas. God, so that's just what, like eight pages or something like that? Yeah, next week, part two of Star Wars, Attack of the Tusken Raiders. And then it has, you know, your standard introductory behind the scenes with Star Wars Weekly that, you know, talks about how awesome Star Wars is and tells you who all the characters is. And it tells you how to fold up your X-Fighter and you even... I, I, I think it actually flies because you actually stick a one, one, what is it, pence? One P coin in there. Yeah, pence. So I think it was flying. And, and then wow. there's a, an ad for like a collector's edition Star Wars magazine. And then there's an uh, ad for Star Wars on Super 8. And uh, then there's a Stan Lee Presents Tales of the Galaxy. Which is a little backup story that, that ends in a cliffhanger. That's by Bruce Jones and the arts by Vincente Alcazar. Oh yeah. So it's very 1994 looking or creepy magazine Warren art looking, and it's just sort of a backup feature of these people exploring a alien planet and getting chased by an acid spitting creature. And on the back, another thing I have to scan: out of the future. The interchangeable world of the Micronauts with Microtron. And it's a four-panel picture of Microtron in four different, you know, configurations you could put him in. Now, Microtron was one of the Micronauts I had that when I describe it to a lot of people, I guess he wasn't one of the more popular ones because they don't remember him. But he was this little short um, robot with these two claw hands. And he sort of had these two round wing wheel things that could either go on his back or roll like wheels. And he had treads for two feet. And right where his crotch was, he had a little turning thing that you that had a uh, corkscrew sort of <laughs> drill-shaped thing on it that, that turned as he rolled around. He was battery-operated. And a Micronaut could sit in his head like a chair. His head opened up like a chair. Well, I would tell people that, you know, this thing had this, like, crotch drill on it, and they're just like, no way. You know, whatever. I'm sure your perverted mind put you put it together wrong or something. Well, now I have pictures of it <laughs> set up the way it's supposed to be, unspeakably obscene. See, I remember him being in the Micronauts title when Michael Golden was doing it because it yes, was... Yes, he was. It was uh, Commander Ron... And his girlfriend, and Biotron, and Microtron, and Acroyer, and Bug, but I don't remember Microtron having a, a drill dick in the comics. So that I, must be something they left out. I would, when... I would have too. So I've got a whole bunch. I've got a whole bunch more of these coming. So they're really cool, and the covers of them are, you know, a lot of the, this covers the exact same cover, but a lot of the covers are different, completely new covers. A lot of them look like they're Infantino. So I'll keep uh, you updated on those, and I will gloat some more when those get there. As a matter of fact, I got the message today that they were put in the mail. I think I paid like five twenty. I paid a little over a dollar for each of them, and there's five of them. So it was like $6 or something for 
I five am, of those things. I am so jealous because yeah. I've been watching those on eBay for the longest time. I know, they're like 14 but, but bucks. You'll yeah, see issue 50, expensive. issue yeah. 60, issue 110, and they'll be 14.95 plus. And a lot of times they're in Britain, so all the, the postage is yeah. sometimes as much as the cost of them. Or you'll look at them and it's going to cost you around 20 bucks an issue. And and nobody else bid on these. I mean, I got them on the opening 99 cent bid. I don't understand it. Well, but, see, that that's really the that's really the cost they should be because you know, except for I think it's like that one issue. I can't even remember what what issue number it is. Now I talked about it once on one of our older Star Wars Monthly Mondays. But there was like that one storyline that still has not been reprinted here in the United States. But other than that one, everything else that's in those, you know, it, it, it's been printed here. All I want them for is the supplementary art. So, you know, because it was yeah. a weekly, whereas we were getting a monthly, they had to make more cover art, you know, because they spread right. the stories out over, over weeks instead of just months. So there's all this new cover art that was never released over here. But other than that, the content inside the issues, you know, it's all the same material. So in black and white. Yeah. But I <laughs> the, mean, the, I'm the just comic not... is a different format. And so I just like it. I, I like it because I love stuff from other countries, too. I oh, love yeah. to see. And from the UK, I can actually read it. You know, I can understand it. So it's not like in Greek or something. Although I would love to have Greek versions of Star Wars or, you know, Italian <laughs> versions or whatever, you know, Czechoslovakian versions would be cool, too. But, um, you know, it's neat to see, you know, the slightly different approach to advertising and to the layout of it and to just the general way the text is written. You know, it was probably someone in Britain wrote the text so it would flow more British or whatever, but... It's just really neat, you know. I'm I'm fascinated with Star Wars and its various permutations and uh, right and uh, yeah. And I'm hoping some of these other issues I have have more of the backup Star Wars issues, but I don't really know enough about them to know which ones have which or whatever. I don't really care. I'm interested in the covers. I'm just interested. <laughs> I just love having that Star Wars stuff. I love. I, it's the you know. Of all the stuff I collect, if there's one thing that I end up, you know, when I'm dead still having, it'll be, you know, my Star Wars stuff. And if the Star Wars stuff goes, the stuff that'll be left behind will be, like, the books and the comics. Right. You know, the, the toys would go first, but the books and the comics. And then probably the books and the comics would be the stuff you're going to pry out of my cold, dead hands. I wish that they would do, like, some sort of like a reprint like a poster book or something but some sort of reprint book that would be all the covers and you know splash pages you know splash yeah. page art and what that were created for the all the star the, wars reprints yeah. yeah all of them from all over the place all just the auxiliary filler stuff would be yeah. really cool you know because you could you know those uh those oversized reprints that we were looking at a while ago, like for Empire and stuff, a lot of those had, you know, in-betweener pages. You know, the the ones for Star Wars, when they kept reprinting Star Wars in all the different formats. Yeah. Oh, Some yeah. of those large-sized ones, they have, you know, three or four um, 
one, you know, the uh, like uh, what do they call it? Pinup pages, right? In between the chapters, you know, like as chapter dividers. I would love to see, you know, Dark Horse or whoever put out a book of just that material. You know, all the Star Wars UK covers that weren't ever released over here. You know, all the pinup stuff. You know, the pinups that were in the. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back adaptation, stuff like that would be great. I think so it'd a be gorgeous, like, like encyclopedia-sized coffee table book would yeah. just be the art of Star Wars comics, where no. they basically print all that, all the stuff that's unique to all the comics, and then they pick out the best covers from Marvel and Dark Horse and all the Star yeah. Wars comics and do a nice, repro- you know, color reproductions of them and and you know collections of raw art and preliminary art and design art that maybe nobody's even seen if it even yeah. exists anymore so that would yeah that, that would be a great that would be a great book so if marvel's listening you could probably sell a couple hundred of them to our listeners that would be awesome i would totally love something like that you what else you got at least two of them that's yeah. all i got star wars wise uh <laughs> For, for for this month, um, although I am on the garage sale circuit, so bef- before next time, I've got four weeks of garage sale, and so who knows what I'll turn up up with then? You know, crossing my fingers. I at least by by next month, I'll have my uh, next batch of Star Wars weeklies to uh, drool over and to wave in everybody's face. <laughs> well. I hear I've you've got, got some. Yes, I do. I've got a couple of things that I am very, very excited to talk about. First up is a novel by Karen Travis. This is Star Wars 501st, an Imperial Commando novel. Now, if you'll remember a while back, I talked about I talked very excitedly about a book that I read called Order 66. And that was the one where we basically saw order 66 from the ground level from the troops that actually had to carry it out this is the direct continuation of that story now my talk about this is going to be slightly spoiler filled because it really would be impossible to talk about this story without spoiling some some of the events that happened in order 66 so you if you don't want to be spoiled on this just skip ahead a few minutes okay but I, I i pretty much have to spoil some things from the previous book to set up what happens in this one but so this book again like the one before follows mainly the character of cal Skirata, and he's a mandalorian um like a mandalorian warrior he was hired by jango fett to go work um on camino at uh, topoka city to train clones and he basically became a father to a certain number of clones called the nulls and he snuck them off of uh camino when the caminoans were going to do away with them because they saw them as defective you know they were some of the earliest clones to come out and they were so independent and just not really what the Kaminoans were, were aiming for exactly that they were going to wipe them out and Skarada rescued them. This book picks up immediately after the events of order 66, where Skarada and his small band have basically gone to Mandalore and they've set up this 
this place that's basically a safe haven for clones that want to defect or not defect but uh uh, go AWOL, basically. They they want a different life. They don't want to follow, you know, now that the Republic has fallen. At first, the idea was that they were all planning to leave. In Order 66, they were planning their escape from the Republic. They were all going to go AWOL, take off with Skirata, and go live their own independent lives um, on Mandalore in this little, uh, almost like a commune type of thing that he set up. And just about the time that they were about to spring their plan is when Order 66 went down. And a whole bunch of shit happens that affects these guys dramatically because one of the clones uh, in this story, you know, one of uh, Skirata's adopted sons, actually married and had a child with a Jedi Knight. And here's where the spoiler part comes in. She dies in Order 66. And through the course of events, Skirata and the clones wind up on Mandalore with this clone's son. But the clone himself and one of his brothers end up being left behind on Coruscant. So a lot of this book, the 501st, involves the story of this clone and his brother on Coruscant basically pretending to be now Imperial stormtroopers, basically Imperial commandos, yet they're still hoping for rescue from uh, Skirata to be rescued and, and taken back to Mandalore. But over the course of the story, this clone starts to realize he's in a prime position where he's at and with the unit that he winds up in to do more good in his position but he basically gets recruited into a unit that's going to actively hunt renegade Jedi Knights. And he realizes with his son being the child of a Jedi Knight and, and you know having force powers that one day, if the Jedi ever rise again, they might come for his son. He, he fears that, you know, that the Jedi are going to come looking for him. On the flip side... He also fears that the Empire might look for his son, you know, also because the, the child has force powers. They may, might fear him one day growing up to be a Jedi Knight. So he starts to wonder, is he in a better position if he stays uh, in this unit on Coruscant and stays an Imperial uh, soldier? You know, is he better protecting his son, working undercover behind the scenes and assisting these guys or sabotaging them if necessary? than he is to join Skirata and raise his own son. So it, it raises some really good moral dilemmas there, you know, of fatherhood and obligation and things like that. There's other stories going on in this in this book, but that's really the main one that I enjoyed and, and followed in this. It is an excellent read. Again, just like Order 66, these people feel alive. All the characters in here feel very real. Um, my only, uh, my only real problem with the book, and it, it's a minor nitpick, really, but it is chock full of characters, and so many of them being clones, they act alike and they sound alike, and so it can be very difficult sometimes to remember who's in what situation and who you know 
has relations with what people and what their their individual deal is. It, sometimes the individualism of the characters gets kind of lost in the shuffle just because there are so many, many characters in the book. But that's kind of a minor quibble. It really is a fantastic read. There's a lot of moral dilemmas because these guys, you know, are operating in, you know, the post-Order 66 world of Star Wars just as the Empire is coming to power and they're fugitives. Um, you know, they, there's some fugitive uh, clones in their group, but there's also some fugitive Jedi that wind up in their group as well and other people. And it's really just, it's a fantastic read. It's very enjoyable. And the only sad part of this is, is that this is the last book from Karen Travis. Um, something happened. There was a fallout between her and George Lucas. And at present, it looks like there's not going to be any more books. So while this doesn't exactly end on a cliffhanger, it does end somewhat unresolved. You know, you're, you're really interested and invested in these people in their lives by the end of this series and unfortunately now we're kind of left hanging it doesn't look like it's ever going to get you know resolved we're never going to get more stories of these people so like i say it doesn't end on some like dramatic cliffhanger where you know people are going to live or people are going to die and you know we're never going to know but it, it more just kind of ends where you're like well damn now i wish i knew what the rest of the story was going to be because you've really become attached to the people that that's kind of a downer but don't let that put you off from checking it out if you have the opportunity because it really is a fantastic read very enjoyable very bittersweet and uh wow some really really fantastic characters and it's so cool that you can find a Star Wars book like this to really get into and sink your teeth into and get invested in. And there are no recognizable Star Wars characters in here. What I mean by that is, you know, th this doesn't feature like, you know, Anakin or, or Darth Vader or Obi-Wan or Luke or Han or any. None of those guys are in this. This is all EU characters but they're all really exciting and interesting characters. So I highly recommend it. It's uh, Star Wars 501st, an Imperial Commando novel by Karen Travis. Check it out. It's a really solid read. The other book I got real quick, Chris, you've got to read this book, man. I know you would dig this. This is the one that's billed on the cover as the must-read sequel to Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. This is called... Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's by James Lucino. Now, he's the one... Uh, it's listed here that he's the author of uh, Labyrinth of Evil, which I remember not digging on all that much. I was thinking he was also the author of the adaptation of Revenge of the Sith, but I'm not seeing that listed here, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, But anyway, this picks up Again, right after the end. Uh, well, basically, it picks up during the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, where Order 66 has just gone down. Actually, what the, what the book picks up in the very beginning with some Jedi that we've never met before, and they're on a mission, and they're they're trying to take some place. I forget what it is, but you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a clone wars episode. You know, they're on a mission with all their clone troopers and they're trying to take some strategic, uh, position 
when suddenly Order 66 goes down and it becomes the story of how are they going to get off this, you know, how are they going to survive for one thing? You know, their, their troops have turned on them and suddenly the galaxy's a very dark place. How are they going to survive and how are they going to get off this planet? And then once they get off the planet, what are they going to do? And you really, I mean, Lucino really makes it exciting from their point of view of their feeling of, of uncertainty because at first they get the signal that says, you know, all Jedi return to the temple. So they're right. trying to figure out how are they going to get off planet and go back to their temple. And then a short while later, they get the follow-up message, you know, that we're all privy to, you know, in the movie. But these guys, you know, from their vantage point, they don't know what the hell's going on. All they know is their troops turned on them. So a short while later, they get the second message that says, you know, avoid Coruscant at all, at all costs, go into hiding. And it becomes the story of these Jedi and, and how are they going to deal with that? You know, what are they going to do? And it actually causes a schism between two of them. You know, one of them is very young and very idealistic and very much, you know, I believe in the Jedi Order. I believe in my ideals. I will not abandon, you know, my principles. And the older one, you know, the, the more wizened and seasoned one is more like, you know, I can't Let's live to fight another day. Exactly. Yeah. I can't do this by myself. We're outnumbered. We're outmanned. You know, there is no more Jedi order. I'm just going to have to forge a new life and forget I ever was a Jedi Knight. In the background of that story. And really what's what ends up coming to the forefront by the end of the book, the, the really fascinating part of this is the story of Anakin's adjustment to being Darth Vader. And it's much more interesting than you might imagine. It's really fascinating how Lucino, you know, his, his words in this are excellent. He totally paints the picture of what it would be like to be this horribly scarred, burned, disfigured man who you know who feels like he's on fire all the time whose lungs are destroyed whose eyes and, and ears are destroyed you know he's he's like the worst burn victim you can imagine trapped in this clunky awkward you know ill-fitting suit of armor and slash really, life support unit slash yeah life support unit and he makes you understand, you know, because I, I don't know about you, but I, well, I, I'm sure you've noticed, you know, we, we grew up with the original trilogy. I mean, I'm sure you noticed a lot of times in the Star Wars trilogy where as imposing and, and menacing and, and scary as Darth Vader could be, there'd be times when they'd be in battle, especially, especially like in the Empire Strikes Back where he's fighting Luke, where he looks a little awkward. You know, he, he looks a little stiff or a little like, you know, he, he could just topple over here if he got just enough off balance type of thing. Lucino actually takes that ball and runs with it and comes up with an explanation for why that is. And because there's a lot of the early part of the book of Anakin kind of bitching to himself of why the hell did the emperor put me into this thing? I can't see. I feel like I'm going to fall forward all the time. You know, I, I'm too heavy. 
I, you know, I can no longer do like these fantastic force jumps and, and it starts to paint this picture of why he is the way he is. And it, it creates a really nice dynamic between him and his master where you start to realize that it's not this total, you know, beneficial relationship between the two of them that yes, the, the emperor needs him as an apprentice and Vader needs him as a master, but because they are two evil guys, the, the emperor needs him hobbled. <laughs> right. Exactly. The emperor also realizes that the history of the Sith is one day, this person has to rise up and take me out the same way I took my master out. And so realizing that he exactly what you said, he's trying to hobble him. He's, he's trying to prolong that inevitability inevitability as much as you know as long yeah. as he can by by limiting vader you know with this suit because he realizes that vader is so much more powerful than he is so he's handicapping him beyond the the physical handicap he already has but what's cool is by the end of the story you see where vader is already uh becoming powerful and learning to work within and around the limitations that the suit has set on him. And it's great. It's, oh my God, it's such a good book because, you know, of course at the end, the, the Jedi we've been following both the one that wanted to, to try to stick with the Jedi order and the one that wanted to try to hide both of them and Vader all come to a meeting point near the end of the book and I, I won't spoil anything of what happens only to say this would be really I would say the first absolute must read recommendation I would I would put out for all the Star Wars books that I've covered on this show so far you are really doing yourself a disservice if you don't read this because god damn was it a good book it's really solid as slow as I read, and I do read dreadfully slow, I blew through this book in two days. I liked it so much. So, uh, yeah, check it out. It's I've yet, I've, I'm looking for it in our in our used bookstore. I keep seeing there's a Darth Maul book that's always hanging out there. But Which one is that? I don't know. If it's Shadowhunter, I would say check it out. That was a good book. That was a really um, solid book. One comment I have on the first book, which I haven't read, but you were saying it was hard. A lot of the characters were hard to tell apart. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's sort of what it would probably be like. <laughs> in oh yeah, that, in that world, you know, I think it would probably, if you were there, it might be hard telling people apart. So I don't know if that's sounds like too bad of a problem at all. Well, it, it, it's not just clones. Is the thing though is that Scarada at some point and this becomes actually a, a point of the book is that Scarada gets to a position where he set this place up you know this this it's almost like a what, how I pictured in my mind literally when I when I was reading the book is almost like Ponderosa uh-huh you know he he had this because it's described very much as like a like a ranch so he's got one of his boys one of his clones that's like like the super hacker guy and this guy has pulled a Superman three to where they're skimming money like pennies, like fractions of credits right. out of the galaxy and into a private account that's funding them. 
So that's where they're getting their money from. And they're like filthy rich beyond filthy rich. So they don't have to worry about money. So Skirata bought this ranch on Mandalore. And that's where he set up shop. And he set this place up as the retreat that they were going to go to when he had assembled all of the clones that he could trust to to keep quiet about it and that were going to leave with him. And they were just going to, at a certain point, they were just going to send out the call and they were all just going to quietly just go AWOL from the Republic. And then Order 66 happened. And so, you know, when this book starts, they're on Mandalore, but just through the, the course of everything that has happened to them to get there... It's no longer just Skarada and his boys. Then you've got some other, you know, officers that went along with them. You've got some Jedi. You know, you've got Jedi of every yeah, and they kind. all have Star Wars names too. So it's yeah. it's, it's so you've got to... yeah, you've got masters, you've got knights, you've got padawans. You end up with um, Jango Fett's sister winds up with them. Um, this woman who was like a like the lead like person behind um what do they call it a uh, bioterrorism she was she like created bioweapons winds up with it. and like all these stragglers wind up there and that's actually a big plot point of the book is scarada going how the is hell did i get name like barbara barbara fett <laughs> that actually would be cool i can't you know off the top of my head i can't remember what her name is now that you say that she's like crazy she's like Fifi. totally out of her mind <laughs> but uh it it really was a fantastic book just just a lot of characters that was my only beef just a lot of people to try to keep margaret. up with. who margaret who fett. <laughs> stop it pete pete fat pete fat there you go but uh yeah anyway that's my uh my star wars book reviews for this time round awesome Awesome. It's been a while since you had a couple winners like that, so... Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think we should uh, wrap this segment up, and we'll be coming back with our war correspondent, or should I say Clone War correspondent, Todd Grady, in our Star Wars The Clone Wars segment. Woohoo! <laughs> Hey, two true freaks. This is Hair Metal Heroes calling in. Got a little movie review. I was going to review it drunkenly uh, a couple days ago, but uh, things went awry, apparently. Uh, caught the A-Team the uh, opening night, and uh, as a child of the 80s, I remember watching the show with fondness. Uh, it was enjoyable and goofy, and the film manages to keep kind of a goofy, light tone. Uh, the acting is uh, good for what it is. It's enjoyable. Uh, characters are fun. They kept the comedy from the show. Um, now I know you and uh, you know, Scott and Chris are uh, both more children of the 70s, and that's cool. Um, but for me, it was, a, it, was a, it was a blast. It was fun. Uh, Liam Neeson, great in it. Doing, uh, he's, I mean, he's no George Papad, but come on, who is? Uh, the guy who plays Murdoch uh, from District 9, unbelievable. Everything he says is a stitch. It's, it's great. you, you, you got to check it out. 
There's really nothing objectionable in it. It's more action than violence. There's really no blood. Uh, there's a couple of uh, S-bombs dropped in it. That's about as harsh as the language gets. But it's uh, just an enjoyable ride. And uh, apparently it didn't make too much money, so if you're going to check it out, might as well do it soon if you're going to see it at the theater. It's definitely worth a matinee. But uh, it, it's something that probably never should have worked. I mean, I don't know how it ever got greenlit in the first place, but it did. And uh, it, it's fun. Go and enjoy yourself, eat some popcorn, and enjoy the wacky action. And, you know, it's got scenes of them building wacky travel, not contraptions, but setting up their plans in a warehouse type setting. I was like, hey, they covered all the bases. And if you are a big fan of the show, stick around through the credits, because uh, at the end, you might see a couple of familiar faces. So uh, that's about it. I'll uh, talk to you guys on the forums, and uh, look forward to all the uh, upcoming episodes. Take it easy, guys. Play it loud. Diminishes wisdom. Things heat up on an icy cold planet as the Jedi are caught between a war hungry counselor and, an, and the indigenous race of a chain smoking snowman. What? <laughs> Who wrote this shit? Don't you notice they all have cigarettes hanging out of their mouths? <laughs> it looks like it. That's what I always thought. I always thought that guy in the cantina just had a space cigar hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, that's going to come up in this uh, this discussion, by the way. I'm sure But it is. first, we need to introduce our returning war correspondent, Todd Grady. Hello, hello. How are you guys? Hey, doing great. How about you, man? <clears throat> doing fantastic. So what do you think about this one? I actually really dug this episode, man. This was... Um... Thought it had a good, you know, good mix of action. Uh, it was, you know, was written pretty well, but this kind of got back into, you know, uh, got back into the groove of earlier in the season where, uh, you know, it felt like a big, uh, bigger adventure piece in the in the previous couple of episodes. Now I like this one a lot too, and I'm wondering if uh, if the reason we both like this one, I'm, I'm thinking Chris probably likes this one too. Is it because of the Hoth vibe that we get off of this yeah, one? Yeah, that's one yeah, of my notes. Quite, quite possibly. Yeah. That's one of my notes, and I love, <laughs> I just love, yeah, Star Wars set in a snowy environment, and I love yep. the way the CG snow looks in this. It's, mm-hmm. they, they, um, they really capture the light of, uh, you know, snowy, of a wintry, I mean, Scott, you and I, you know, Todd, I don't know, you've lived down in Florida all your life, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Scott and I are very familiar with a cold, snowy, blustery winter, that's for sure. And and this right. this CG really captures the feel of that really well. Yeah, I definitely, I've noticed that too, and it felt like <clears throat> they really kind of got a cool multi-dimensional effect to it with having, or multi-textural effect to the snow instead of just having, you know, these really fake-looking flakes. They did a really good job of, of kind of giving it, you know, a little bit of fog, a little bit of you know rain, a little bit of snow. It was yeah, it was really really visually attractive. Yeah, so they yeah. used the the motion blur of the of the 
moving snow really well to make it look like actual wind-blown snow you know you don't actually see that every flake it's 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 blurred and and more more realistic that way what i really oh, yeah. liked are the the i don't know if you'd call them snow speeder bikes or whatever but the, the I, I don't know if they're specifically for snowy weather but they're just sort of the weather bikes with the enclosed cockpit i like those man. yeah because i, I can imagine those. the heater going inside those things that's what i yeah. thought was cool about that you know and yeah definitely my, my comment on that is i don't care what the variation is speeders kick ass yes yeah i love speeder bikes yeah, yeah but they, I you would... know, there were definitely some nods to uh you know to empire with Definitely with the costumes and the sets, of course. But then were a couple little, they threw a couple little lines in where they, you know, told the uh, the, the clones to go set up the sensor beacons. Um, I think there was one where they, one of them came back from outside and made a, uh, I'm not sure if it was a direct line quote from Empire or if it was just a similar, you know, things are really getting bad out there kind of right. mention that, that made me made me think of, of Empire. The only line that I caught directly that that I thought was was a direct quote and and probably intentional was at the end of it, after the little girl delivers her speech there and, and makes peace with the with the indigenous species, then Anakin says most impressive and he says it in, in almost a Darth Vadery way and I thought that was uh, okay. probably purposeful but oh, but I'm yeah sure. there was a lot of similarities I. The biggest one that worked for me that I really liked as soon as the episode starts and uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin step off the transport, you know, Obi-Wan is dressed very much like Luke Skywalker from Empire in the Snow. And then Anakin's wearing Han Solo's blue jacket from Empire. And I just love that. I love that they kept the same color scheme. I thought that was really cool. It was a nice callback. You know, subtle, but it it really worked for the episode, I thought. I wasn't as hot on this episode. I thought it was okay, but what what I guess it, th- some of the writing at the beginning of it when when they first get to the planet and you've got the you know the the asshole counselor guy and he's basically saying you know at the very beginning they establish this planet doesn't belong to anybody because it's unexplored <clears throat> and um you know, he's arguing the point, well, it belongs to our planet because there's nobody on here. So, But that hasn't been determined yet. So, right. And, and Obi-Wan says something like, though, that's not for me to determine or, you know, so it's, you know, that sort of sets the situation. But then the guy just makes a couple lines, you know, makes up a couple lines and says, well, you know, no, nothing lives here. So, you know, it's ours and, and blah, blah, blah. And Obi-Wan just sort of goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and and that's it. and so the so they just sort of do undercut all the decisions of that w- should have been made through normal channels or whatever or it was just it was just a very weird little dance to get around that it didn't quite make sense but <laughs> you know i'm always willing to overlook stuff like that but it you know that just sort of made the whole subplot just sort of not even the subplot, there, but just that. There was a point. There was a point where they said they were going back to the. Uh, they were going back to the base, and a storm was letting up, and they could get a signal out to the council. Right. So it might have been, you know, kind of subtextual. Of you know, we did have a discussion. They decided, okay, you know, you've got some claim over the planet. 
I'm, I'm just... No, actually, yeah, maybe I'm just... not, because that was a little bit later in the episode, so they'd already... Well, wasn't that, that when they... I think that's when they call back and they talk to her planet. And that's right, when they right. get the override to die, ignore this asshole. Right. You know, he, all he's doing is stirring shit. Don't listen yeah. to him. Well, you I, take that arch right. kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm and I'm wondering what his, I mean, what his motivation was besides just being a huge asshole. You know, because that's well, all you know, his character seemed to be. See, I'll forgive all of that in this for one simple reason: that guy dies and i love that i love that it's not you know it, it up to that point him coming in being a giant dick and being a pain in the ass and stirring up all this stuff feels very star trek to me but the big difference yes. that makes this turn a corner to where it's not star trek is that in star trek what typically happens is he there'll be a big yeah, he sees the error of his ways, and at the end of the episode, everything's, you know, they all shake hands and kiss each other, and everything's hunky-dory. In this one, the asshole dies, and I love that. This, and he that dies an asshole, too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you know, no unredeemed, yeah, unredeemed and, and unrepenting. I love it. it. It elevates this one from, you know, kind of an eh episode that looks really good to suddenly this is an all-around really cool episode. Let it be said yeah. on his tombstone that he died. He lived an asshole and he died an he asshole. Died an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's gonna be my great. I was gonna say, man, we could all we could yeah, both of us could get that. <laughs> oh man. I've always wondered if there was a married couple out there with a sense of humor that had an Imwood matching Imwood stupid gravestones. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. There's got to be a married couple out there that has had a sense of humor enough to put that in their will. And if there isn't, please do any married <laughs> couples out there. Both of you guys, see if you could talk your wives into it. We'll, we'll work on that. Yeah. 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 We'll work on that. <laughs> well, there, were a lot of, there would have been a lot of gravestones in this one. I'll segue back in. Yeah. I can hear was, that. Uh, I can hear that conversation like late at night. You guys are having pillow talk. And it's like, honey, you know, Chris Honeywell mentioned the other day that I thought it was kind of a good idea that on our tombstones. We sort of had I was actually thinking of the conversation more this way of proposing the idea. And she just looks at me and goes, this was a Chris Honeywell idea, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Story now, Todd, right. you said you were gonna you were gonna segue us back <laughs> into Star Wars. Speaking of gravestones, there was quite a bit of killing in this episode. Yeah. As opposed to the last yeah. couple, where uh, you know everybody had uh, yeah. shots flying around them and nobody nobody dropped. There was uh, a lot of people shit, died because of an asshole. Stuff. Yeah. On both sides. Lots now here of, was the head, heads on sticks, cool uh, <clears throat> cool stuff like that, but it's still conveniently no blood. They'd, they still try to keep it a little bit kiddish, even when the guy got the spear in the back. You know, he did die from the wound, but there was no obvious, you know, blood-soaked clothing or anything like that. No spurs. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Because when the trooper helps him back to the ride, I noticed that that there was no mark in his shoulder or whatever. So that was kind of weird. Well, there's him over the front of the speeder like a like a dead deer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. It's like I got a six-pointer, but. It's, <laughs> <laughs> All right, now here's my my one my one nitpick for this episode, and and it's probably I can probably no prize 
my own nitpick, but I just want to see what you guys think about this one. Now, as Chris pointed out when we started, we've seen this race before. We saw one of these dudes in the cantina uh, at Mos Eisley in the first Star Wars movie. Plus, if I'm not mistaken, haven't we seen a Jedi, one of these guys? I'm thinking it was in the uh, animated series. Yep. Yeah. Animated Clone Wars, the... um... The, towards the very end of it where they were setting up for episode three when there was the whole, you know, four or five Jedi going after uh, uh, Chancellor? Two, they're going after, trying to get the Chancellor back. Right. One of the, one of the Jedi uh, was Grievous. Victorian, and one of them was one of this race. Right. Well, my only, my only guess it. on that is maybe some is of these that, races you know, get around, you know, somehow. Right. And well, also, you know, the same way on Earth, you know, we have, you know, we have, you know, civilized people and then we have, you know, like aborigines and stuff. Maybe the same thing works for this race. You know, there's right. an offshoot of them somewhere that's spacefaring and travels in, you know, well, that's what travels I'm to maybe most easily to get a drink. And then there's other ones that, you know, are primates that live in the snow or whatever. So, or, or at I some guess. point, I've... slavers were coming in and grabbing a few of these guys and taking them off to mining planets <laughs> and... And they would mine, and there'd be yeah. a little colony of them, or something like that, you know. Because I mean, three PO has their language in his databanks because he just starts speaking to them. So there are so somehow there are known species. Somehow their language is known. Right. So if you know, this might just be their first contact with this species on this planet. Right. Or these guys could have these guys could have come there like twenty generations ago and been a bunch of like, you know, a religious sect that was like we want to, you know, ditch technology and, you know, ditch their ditch their spaceship and lived in the caves from then on. I can buy that. I I think it's just the reaction that Obi Wan and Anakin have that make it seem a little bit wonk. It makes it seem like this is the first time they're meeting this race, when we as the viewer have met this race a couple of times before. It just it just plays a little bit awkwardly. I think. I was just hoping, but maybe that's a, just me. A gesture of peace that they would have taken out their lightsabers and lit their cigars for them, because they're all walking <laughs> around with their cigars unlit. <laughs> Light that goddamn thing, man. Now, one of the things I thought was well, that's what made me was when they uh, w- when they were in the clone base before they found the race. One of the troopers says, "You know, there's a footprint over here, and it's something big." And Obi Wan tells the trooper to make a cast of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I could just imagine this clone trooper mixing up plaster of Paris, pouring <laughs> it daintily into the hole, waiting for it to dry. Yeah, and then peeling it out and going, shit! I I, I th- could have just taken a picture of it. I thought the same thing. I thought, don't they have the technology to like take a scan of it where they put something over it that passes a laser beam over it and records the depth right. and can make a virtual right. cast of it? Yeah. No, it's like, right. it's like a yeah. camping hologram a cast of it. Yeah. Or they probably have some special like foam rubber foam that they just go and spray onto the ground and <laughs> space latex. <laughs> That's the name of my condom company, by the way, that I'm going to start. Space Latex. Space Latex. Condoms for nerds. Yeah, that'll be a booming business. <laughs> One box lasts you a lifetime. <laughs> hey, 
it really doesn't matter what size they are. You're never going to use it. Exactly. <laughs> that's you see that, but that's how nerds like it, man. They like having it in the box unopened. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have the mint in the box. Exactly. We'll have. Oh my God! It'll be the ultimate nerd like mind blower. It, there'll be condoms, but there'll there'll be condoms and there'll be a coupon. For, for, no, no, no. For, Here's a better one. To get Here's a better one for, for you. To actually have there's, sex there's with a, a lady. There's a comic. No, but, there's a comic strip on the condom, and you have to roll it out to to get the whole story. Exactly. <laughs> oh no! Well, but well, if you if you open it, take it out, then it's, it's not, not mint in the packaging. Well, that's what so I'm you saying. Got the ultimate you, you have it cashed in in there, so they could actually take the condoms out and go meet a lady. But at the same time, they would have to uncard it and. Yeah, and then we could start a business to recard the condoms, you know, and fake them for people, and so we could get them on both I just, ends. I, I just yeah, have to good. ask I a question. What what the hell does this have to do with Clone Wars? <laughs> Nothing. We'll be rich, I tell you. <laughs> we'll call them Clone Wars condoms. Uh. New inbox. Yeah, that won't get us sued. We'll spell it with a K. Wait, yeah. no, that'll get us in trouble. Yeah, that'll get us in racial trouble too. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, Todd, what else have you Sorry. got on this episode? That's what happens when I get too much control over the conversation. It just. <laughs> I don't have a whole lot more on this episode. It was good, you know. I, I thought it was a good, like a good adventure piece. Enjoyed the the Empire nods, um, and you know, got some really good fighting and good uh, good speeder scenes. So you know, I, I enjoyed it. I'm trying to remember what's next uh, next episode next month. Do you remember, remember what the next one is after? Yeah, I don't remember. It is Hidden Enemy. Huh. The name of hmm. it. That doesn't make me remember. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. Quick, uh... It'll be new all over again. What really oh, cements the one with a uh, where one of the clones is? Uh, oh is yeah, a, is an infiltrator. Yeah, this is one of my, oh, oh, yeah. one of my favorites yeah. of all yeah. time. That's gonna. This be is a good possibly one. my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Good episode. I'm looking forward to that one. That one's gonna spur a lot of good conversation. Yeah, that, that's <clears throat> that gets into the real gritty stuff. And you guys aren't in the season two yet, are you? Not on this show. Yeah, yeah, I've watched. I've watched not on the show now. Okay, okay. Yeah, but it yeah, does. It's it's a, it's a sort of a hint here. of it's sort of a hint of what's to come in season two, as far as like wider questions being opened up in the whole thing. Actually, opening you know addressing some issues in it rather than just having adventure stories, you know. So that's. That's really cool. Well, let me ask you something, Todd. As as our uh, Clone Wars correspondent, I, I'm still, I still kind of favor the idea of us doing a, a, a fast forward and getting into the season two stuff. What do you think about that idea? Sure, we do like a uh, <clears throat> a dedicated episode and just kind of burn through some some uh, reviews of the the Clone Wars episodes, or, or do you want to skip some? No, I was just thinking, like you said, just kind of do a, a comprehensive episode or two, 
to right. uh, kind of burn through the rest of season one and then get right into season two and start covering those. If we do that, if uh, we burn through season one, we probably could, it probably will time out to about where season three will be starting. Right. When uh, we need it to. I mean, we'll always be behind. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll need to always be behind really. Um, but I, I like that idea of, of getting a little more uh, caught up, if you know what I mean, a little more relevant to where they are in the actual right series itself as it airs but i don't think there's any hurry because traditionally these type of things go about five seasons and then that's it so you know i always want to have something to talk about as well but i just wondered what what you thought about the idea well i'm hoping by the time clone wars the series is done that the live action series will be going too or something right. yeah. or something and that, that yeah. we'll have that so yeah that's so, true George too. lucas we need something <laughs> so yeah that basically guaranteeing george lucas an income but it's a, he needs a revenue stream of some sort so yeah, yeah so hey i think it's gonna be a, a good long while before um before he lets star wars lay dormant again for a while i i see very much where present day star wars is mirroring the star trek Phenom, you know I how think it he's was. He's paid attention to that in his own and and Star Wars's um, success and the way that it's been managed. And you know, w w once they started doing the extended universe and and experimenting with all that, I think he's really figured out how to keep in, you know, do enough so it keeps interest going, while at the same time feeding about the exact amount of interest that is out there, you know? Right. And, right. uh, and he's, I think he's got it pretty much down to a science now, which is great because that pretty much guarantees that at any time you're going to still be able to, to experience some star Wars media. I mean, we've always had the comics and the books and stuff, but there seems like there's going to be some official Lucasfilm visual, Right. media at all times which right i'm 100 percent for that me yeah, too i really do want to see some you know i, I want to see something outside of the time for, outside of anakin's story right you know i want to see some and, and i know i don't know a whole lot of the extended universe you know all the video game extended universe stuff i know from knights of the old republic would be cool or you know the reestablishing the Jedi Order, but you know get let, let's let's move past this, you know, past the, the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker and get to some, you know, get, get to something else, something we don't know where it's going to end up. Well, there's I mean there's that whole there's the whole world right now we've got anything before Episode One, right? I I find the whole period in which I guess the TV the live action show is going to be, I really like the time period between episode three and episode four i think that's yeah. fertile that's a, ground that's for some really good stories fertile ground yeah. for a lot of because you've got you could do a lot of stories about how the empire you know took over and its its methods and you know well, you i'm sure steer away from the characters that we're right. used to right yeah, you don't you really dig into the, you know some real rogue characters you know that the like you say the establishment of the empire and then the you know the establishment of the rebellion to build up the rebellion and 
you know that, that you could really do some cool stories in that time. See frame. that that's where I am in the, in reading the novels right now, and it's it's very exciting material because it's not riddled with all the characters that we know. They kind of yeah. have to try to sustain it with characters you don't know, so you don't know what may happen to them and it makes it that much more exciting because you you're not entirely sure are they going to emerge from you know this threat or this battle or whatever victorious or not it it makes it a little more edgier seat and i like that it's bringing back the excitement well there's also you also have the opportunity in this that you could have new characters but you could also frame them within the the two robots because You know, after episode three, the, their memory—you know, three PO's memories wiped, and you know, any—you know—they could have been put in any number of situations between three and four. That you know, and all they have to do is be brought back to the Rebel blockade runner by episode four. So you could have them hook up with a whole different crew of people and see that whole thing through their eyes, which would make it really fit within the whole canon too mm-hmm. while yeah. it would also necessarily i mean you would you definitely wouldn't have any of those other characters in there because they don't meet them till episode four so they're you know they're there you couldn't even have little little cute meetings between like han solo and the droids and stuff because it's established that they don't know you could have them maybe See, i don't want each any other. of that right when any and, of that and so, you know, yeah, that would be one of those things that would actually keep it away from that sort of stuff. Here's a Todd observation of the Star Wars universe. And tattooing. Dro- droid manufacturers are idiots. <laughs> oh, yeah, they'll be the lasts. first ones against the wall when the revolution comes. Well, no, the droid manufacturers <laughs> make shit that lasts way too fucking long. They never come out with a new shiny model that you want to buy to replace your old one. You know, I mean, it, come on. C-3PO and R2-D2, you know, they've been in service for 60-something years, and there's not anything flashier and newer. No, you just have to put... Actually, R2 actually got... R2 did go downhill because somewhere along the line he lost his rocket boosters. Well, he did lose his rocket boosters, exactly. He can't fly anymore, yeah. But, But, yeah, C-3PO, you just have to give him a new... It's Basically, C-3PO would be like if you had a computer for 60 years and all you had to do was, you know, replace the outside of the cabinet of it. Yeah, Every quick oil bath, you're good to go. And and literally <laughs> and, and literally C three PO is like he is the character I mean when Scott and I did our parody of Star Wars, we exaggerated the I mean the C three PO character was I mean people were literally punching him and you know, just <laughs> literally abusing him constantly because C three PO's he's just gets dissembled and tossed around constantly. So yeah, they build him to last and <laughs> And there's spaceships too, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> but Although there was that there was one mention in Star Wars the uh, when he was going to sell the speeder. You know something the yeah, ever since the T16s came out, you can't right? Yeah. Use or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that, that was about the speeder, but yeah. Well, that that's one of those things. I was I watched a uh, a trailer today for. I don't know, one of the new video games coming out, but it's one that took place, I think it says like 3,000 years before or something. But nothing really looks all that different. 
and I'm going, wow, you know, their their technology is kind of stale when, yeah, you know, three thousand years before, you know, Luke Skywalker, and you know, they still got, you know, the same laser sound to their guns, and their ships look pretty <laughs> much the same, and they still have lightsabers. I'm thinking, wow, you know, they they obviously don't have like a Steve Jobs or a Bill it's Gates. It's just the batteries that are getting you know? better. Yeah, yeah, that's the Knights of the Old Republic games. They're uh, they're pretty good games, and but they are yeah, it's it's what two thousand years before, um, before the Battle of Yavin, and it was yet yeah, it's pretty much the same. You've got very yeah. similar feel to the characters, <laughs> very similar feel to the technology. I know one of the games you fly around in a ship that's sort of like Millennium Falcon with only one, you know, with only one forward arm on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's about all the time we have for this segment but be back with us next month as we'll be looking at a, another really exciting episode of clone wars this one dealing with uh a rogue clone trooper damn man you are efficient with getting us the hell out of here i'm trying man because we've got so <laughs> much stuff to get through tonight <laughs> Uh, well, you go out with your efficient self. <laughs> All right. Somebody's got to keep us on course, <laughs> Mister Mister Clone me. Wars condoms. <laughs> Hi, my name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother, Michael, to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and in general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death, and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision, and when he was diagnosed with the disease, despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done, and unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor and they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away and I started that year walking in its Long Island fundraiser walk and I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spataro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did, and I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lust Garden Foundation, 
all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Star Wars. I like Star Wars. All the kids know Star Wars. Star Wars is my favorite. I would to see Star Wars 89 times. Okay. <clears throat> Hello. Welcome back to Two True Freaks, Star Wars Monthly Monday. We are now hitting the Marvel Star Wars comics part of our show, and uh, it's something a little different because of the way the story arcs are running and the way we're dividing up our episodes and issue sodes. We're only doing two issues of Star Wars this month, uh, issue number 52 and 51. Uh, uh, I don't know why I said them backwards because that's how I'm <laughs> holding them in my hands for some reason. But um, so uh, yeah, we'll start off. Scott's gonna do uh, 51. I'm gonna do 52. Excellent, excellent. Right off the bat, I would just like to uh, shout out uh, Josh Bertoni. Hey, Josh, and I apologize. He really, really, really. I was gonna to say us. something too. Just, yeah. Yeah, and I, I apologize that uh, we just couldn't get our our schedule synced up for this. And uh, as we record this, we're, we're just kind of down to the wire. It was time to shit or get off the pot as far as recording, and we just couldn't hold off anymore. But, uh, Josh, I, I want you to know you have an open, invita- open invitation to join us anytime, buddy, that you want to come along, which is kind of the reason why uh, we're only covering two issues this time. Um, for one, issue 53 is uh, one part of a two-part story, and it ends on kind of a cliffhanger. So we decided let's just do 51 and 52. Plus, as you'll hear, as you'll hopefully hear, this is a fantastic story that I think is going to generate generate a lot of uh, discussion, and we really didn't want to have to uh, cram a whole lot into this segment. So in order to have time to, to really fully talk about both of these fantastic issues, we just decided to do two, and uh, we'll cover 53 and 54 yeah. next time. Yeah. So anyway, moving along, this is Marvel's Star Wars number 51. This is the September 1981 issue. We have an awesome cover on this by Walt Simonson, and it shows... Uh, Luke Skywalker, and he's laying flat on his back, and he's firing his blaster at uh, this uh, scout walker that's towering over top of him, and it says uh, on the title, it just says Resurrection of Evil. But I really like the cover, even though the uh, scout walker, I must admit, I think it looks a little bit wonky. I think he got the legs a little bit messed up, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. they are a little bit long and a little bit I love Walt Simonson's style, though. It's just beautiful. I like the way he does blaster bolts and stuff. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. But yeah, I love the cover on this one. Opening it up, I also really, really like the uh, the opening splash here. Um, oh, by the way, the rest of the credits are David Michelini, 
Now, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce this guy's name. I've heard Michelini, I've heard uh, Michelini, um, all kinds of different pronunciations. I usually said uh, Michelini when I was younger, but everybody tells me it's Michelini, so I'm going to say Michelini. Anyway, David Michelini's writer, Walt Simonson Penciler, uh, Thomas Palmer as the inker, John Morelli letterer, uh, Don Warfield colorist, Louise Jones, who would later be Louise Simonson, Walt's wife, uh, was the editor on this. James Shooter, Jim Shooter himself, editor-in-chief, original cover price, 50 cents. And the story is, just like on the cover, Resurrection of Evil. So our story begins with a crippled and battle-beaten fighter fast approaching one of those huge rebel fleet cruisers, you know, like the one we saw at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. The ship is snagged via magnetic grapples and dragged into the docking bay. And once inside, the pilot is found dead and clutching a mysterious canister. So later, General Riken uh, pronounces that the rebellion may be doomed, and he orders the emergency recall signal sounded. So several systems away, on a lush, uncharted planet, Princess Leia, who is strangely still sporting her Hoth fatigues, as I think she does through a lot of yeah. this interim period between Empire and Jedi for some odd reason. I guess she just had the chills all the time or something. And uh, her companion C-3PO, they are scouting new locations for a rebel base when they are attacked by Gundarks. And this is the first appearance of the Gundarks in the Star Wars expanded universe. And just as a side note, I just have to say I'm more than a little bit pissed off that when we would see Gundarks again nearly 30 years later... I like these uh, Gundarks Clone better, Wars, too. Yeah, I do. They they didn't look a damn thing like these. That kind of bugs me. I don't like the bat-looking ones that we saw in Clone Wars. I like these guys much better. So, uh, anyhow, some quick thinking by Princess Leia. Tongue ties two of the Gundarks together, and she and C-3PO flee back to their oddly UFO-looking spacecraft. And once they clear the planet, wait a minute. All right, two friggin' Gundarks were enough to make Leia abandon this planet yeah. as somehow unsuitable as a base? After all those wampas. Yeah, I mean, all right. That just seems, uh, Now that I think about it, it seems kind of silly. I mean, all right, people say I'm nitpicky, but <laughs> they ran into two Gundarks, so suddenly the planet's unsuitable. All right, anyway, so once they clear the planet, um, they pick up the recall signal, and uh, they head for home. So elsewhere, Luke Skywalker and his little buddy R2-D2, they're also scouting for possible rebel base locations, and they've set down on this little mud ball of a world, and they're investigating a metallic something that Luke's X-Wing's scanners picked up on the surface of this planet. So Luke scrapes off some of the muck and he discovers a still-functioning communications beacon. And Luke is just thinking to himself that I've got a bad feeling about this when we see the sound effect, Fakum! <laughs> and a laser blast hits near Luke. So he rises up out of the mud because the, the laser blast kind of knocked him on his behind. And he looks up to see his assailant and it's an ATST, one of those scout walkers. And so Luke is about to, like, try to flee in the other direction when another blast uh, hits near him. And he looks up again, and he sees three full-sized walkers, the four-legged walkers, 
coming towards him and he realizes he is trapped between them. So he calls to R2-D2 and tells R2 to fire up the X-Wing and he'll be there in a moment, somehow. So inside the, uh, the uh, one of the walkers, the Imperials, they're under orders to take their subject alive. And they turn from Luke to his X-Wing and they're intent on actually destroying Luke's ride off this planet. But quick, smart little R2-D2, uh, he's already got the shields up and as the scout pounds uh, at the X-Wing with its laser blast, uh, Luke creates a diversion by throwing grenades at the comm beacon. And the scout turns because it has to defend this beacon. This beacon is like this big important thing. And as it turns to go towards the beacon, Luke rises up out of the mud all Rambo style. And with a well-placed lightsaber stroke, he actually fells the uh, scout walker. So then he quickly jumps into the cockpit of his X-Wing and then and they streak off, narrowly avoiding a barrage of laser fire from one of those full-sized walkers. That's a really cool dynamic panel. And Luke, once he's uh, in space, he also gets the recall message and likewise sets course for home. Elsewhere, Lando Calrissian and Chewbacca the Wookiee, they're pursuing a gunrunner whom Lando believes can tell them where Boba Fett took Han. And again, I have to ask, well, what's the mystery here? But the gunrunner, he uh, ducks into a nearby asteroid field just as Lando receives the recall notice. So Lando prepares to call off the hunt, which totally pisses off Chewbacca, and they end up having a big argument about it, which allows the gunrunner time to escape. So left with no alternative and nothing else to do, they go ahead and they set course for the Rebel fleet. So all together now, Riken... Uh, asks our heroes the $64,000 question, why hasn't the Empire constructed a new Death Star? Well, I'll tell you why, he says. It's because they've come up with a bigger, badder threat to the Rebel Alliance, the Tarkin. And on that ominous note, we cut to the Super Star Destroyer Executor, where Major, and I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name, I'm going to say Kuru, Major Kuru, and he's the officer that was responsible for losing Luke Skywalker on that little mudball planet a little while ago. He's begging Darth Vader's pardon. And Vader uses the force on this guy and has him quite literally take a long walk out of a short airlock. <laughs> so back at the uh, Rebel fleet, Riken has called a general assembly to put together a plan on how to take down the Tarkin. And Luke who I thought was kind of snarky in this part. He says he sees now why he and all the others were recalled because, you know, they were part of the ones that were uh, aboard uh, the original Death Star. And uh, so he volunteers for the commando mission along with Princess Leia, Chewie, and the droids. And Lando asks, well, what about me? And Leia says, why don't you try looking out for yourself? You seem to do it so well. And Riken walks up and he kind of pats Lando on the back and he tries to console him. And he says, uh, you know, he tells him that he understands that Lando didn't have any choice turning Solo over to the Empire, but that friends don't forget easily. And in a, in a panel that I always thought looked really cool and kind of ominous, Lando's thinking to himself, well, maybe not, General, but neither do I. And I thought that was a nice little bit of uh, foreboding, foreshadowing. I don't know if it ever really goes anywhere, but I like that part. And so uh, the group sets out in the Millennium Falcon for the planet Hakaleg, where, <laughs> where 
According to the captured information, construction crews are being shuttled up from the under construction, or for rather the uh, under construction Tarkin. So once they're down on the planet, Leia uses her feminine wiles to lure some unsuspecting workers into an alley where Chewbacca ambushes them. So a short time later, Luke and the others uh, emerge from the alley, now disguised as construction workers. And Luke uses the Jedi mind trick on a couple of stormtroopers who question the presence of a Wookiee and droids on this shuttle flight. And so then the group is off to their deadly destination. We turn the page and we get an awesome Walt Simonson full splash page reveal of the Tarkin. So here's what it looks like. Picture this, if you will. It's, say, take the main gun from the Death Star, strap a bunch of engines all around it, and then like a Star Destroyer-esque coning tower, or conning tower at the top of it. Yeah, turret, yeah. And that's pretty much what the Tarkin looks like. It's absolutely freaking ginormous, and it totally dwarfs, like, even Darth Vader's Super Star Destroyer. You see it right next to it, and it's just this little tiny thing. So this thing is is huge. And so we see the shuttle uh, eventually touch down on it. And in a scene right out of the first Star Wars movie, we see Darth Vader, who's aboard the Tarkin, and he does the whole, you know, I sense something, a presence I've not felt since, you know, type of routine. Because he senses his prey, you know, and uh, he decides he's going to lay a trap for Luke. And he tells this toady of his, uh, Captain Vol, he tells him to remove all the security personnel from the area of the main power reactors. So Vol, you know, he races off. Seemingly, he's going to comply with Vader's orders. But instead, he takes the elevator and he descends into the bowels of the station And there he joins a secret meeting of his fellow officers who all clasp hands and swear that before this day is over, Darth Vader must die. And that's issue 51. And uh, God damn, do I like the beginning of this story. Yeah. Now, should I just do the ending of the story or should we do this and, and go yeah, go, okay. yeah go ahead we'll do it all as uh, we'll do it all in one fell swoop we'll, fin- we'll finish it off right here this ends now this ends right <laughs> here right now alright so now we have issue 52 from October 1981 once again 50 centeroonies two thin quarters and we have the same cast of characters the same cover artist Walt Simonson and once again an awesome cover of uh, Darth Vader and the evil like puppet master pulling the string pose with his hands over a Millennium Falcon flying over what we assume is the Tarkin with a with Darth Vader's TIE fighter coming at him head on and firing it's awesome mm-hmm. awesome it in, in pure Walt Simonson style so Luke Leia, Chewie, and the droids, they've infiltrated the Tarkin, as we've just heard, hoping to, to blow it up. And, you know, Vader Vader sensed Luke's presence and, and set his little trap. Set his cute little trap. So the group of uh, rebels sort, <laughs> it's of, a trap! sort of split up to, to plant their bombs in, in separate areas. And uh, meanwhile, on the planet's surface, we find out that... Uh, Lando has stowed away, of course, in the in the same smuggling compartments from Star Wars, and uh, you know he's he's gonna prove himself, 
you know, his loyalty to his friends in the Rebel Alliance by being sort of their ace in the hole, by, by, uh, being their Lando in the hole on the Falcon. So, uh, <laughs> um, Chewie manages to immediately blow up his power source that he was supposed to get by chucking his, his stormtrooper holding the bomb into it, <laughs> which I love. Um, but Luke and Leia are having a lot more trouble. Uh, Leia's been sidelined by Imperials and ends up sort of in the weapon, you know, the firing area, the, the weapon part of the Tarkin. And, um, and Luke is just about to uh, fall into Vader's trap when Vader almost falls into Colonel Nord's trap himself. And I guess maybe because of the last guy that um, Vader convinced that he needed a fresh of breath of fresh air and a vacuum of space, they decided maybe a little poetic justice was in order. So uh, they open up an airlock that's right behind Vader where he's waiting in, you know, around the corner for Luke. And uh, they, they notice Luke coming, but they're like, well, <laughs> I don't know what your deal is, guy, but you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So uh, as the atmosphere is, and you're going to like this, blown out into space. Uh, yes, thank you. Luke, Luke escapes into an air vent, but not without losing his, uh, his explosive, you know, unit that he was carrying, which sort of comically bounces off Darth Vader's head. <laughs> and almost pushes him out the airlock. Darth Vader, you know, has to clutch with one hand to the outside of the airlock. But, you know, Vader slowly and possibly, you know, uses the dark side of the force to pull himself back into the Tarkin and slowly, laboriously walk against the force of air, um, you know, back into safety and basically tell Nord that he will deal with him later. So he's on to his plan. And uh, the rebels all, the our little group of rebels all regroup and uh, escape in, in this weird roundy sort of transport. But they're soon attacked by TIE fighters who cripple them, you know, because they are just this inferior craft. And, um, of course, who shows up out of nowhere but Lando with the Millennium Falcon and and brings them all aboard and they they you know they've hey the day's saved and they fly off well soon uh, Darth Vader hops into his personal tie and goes into pursuit so th this is some big trouble and uh, Lando actually cripples Vader's ship by ejecting all the Millennium Falcon's water which makes these sort of big deadly chunks of frozen ice that Vader smashes into while all the while doing the classic villain like ah touche um so uh meanwhile in the tarkin they see that vader's been been you know his ship's been disabled but he's still alive they can tell and they decide the best way to take out the falcon is to bring the the tarkin's gun to bear upon it and if darth vader happens to be in the middle yeah well you know then General Nord, or you know, Commander Nord, or whatever he is, gets to live another day. So he fires up the the weapons and aims it at the Falcon, and the you know when they hit fire, boom, they explode. And uh, we found out that a little later that Princess Leia, when she was in the weapon part, crossed a couple wires because she remembered somehow 
part of the schematics from the original Death Star, and she crossed some wires so when the cannon fired off, it actually shot itself and blew it up. So they fly off into the sunset. Meanwhile, we don't have no idea what happened to Darth Vader. He doesn't get even a spinning off into space out of control scene, but we know he's still alive. But what his condition is, we, we do not know. And that's number 52. Excellent. 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 So what do you got for no? Well, first of all, what did you, what do you think of this story? Do you think it still holds up? Yes. Um, I do. I do as well. I have, well, for one thing, I have a lot, relatively a lot of notes for me, but one thing about this, this run of these two comics is this is sort of setting the precedent for what we got coming. I mean, I mean, Michelina, he writes for a while on Star Wars. He's on there quite a while. And this, and um, the, you know, this is going to be sort of the standard art team. And I believe even after Simonson's gone, doesn't um, Tom Palmer sort of remain as the inker? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much through the through. Well, not the entire rest of the series, but, but for almost, quite yeah, a while, yeah. he's he's the um, and he really what lends, do you want to call it stabilizing influence? Yeah, you he know? really let his look. And the way he, you you know you can see a lot of his look on Simonson's art in here, especially the way he draws character like Luke, like Luke and his his face and his hair. I think that's a lot of Tom Palmer's influence. And I do so, too. So what you know, these two issues are sort of the prototype of what's to come with these Star Wars comics, and I like it. I think Michelin is having a little bit of trouble with the characters at the beginning because he's starting out. But at the same time, on some other levels, he really has a good hold on what Star Wars stories are like oh, and yeah. how they unfold. And um, and the way he handles Darth Vader feels more Darth Vader-y than a lot of the other times he's shown up in the, the Marvel comics. So I like that a lot. I like a lot the scene where he was sensing Luke's presence, the way it was drawn and the way he he dealt with it. It wasn't it wasn't as cheesy as you would think it could be or, or mm-hmm. would end up be or has been in the past with Darth Vader. So b- both of these comics are just solid Star Wars, you know, they they yeah. move along. They're not overly verbose. Luke's a little cocky and um, arrogant. Which you you can you can write that off, but Luke's character is a little bit wonky. The way his dialogue, maybe the way he speaks, is a little bit doesn't feel like Luke as much. But you know, as as by the by the next issue by fifty two, a lot of that was sort of ironed out, and I like how they had a little drama between Leia and and um, Lando. Although you could almost. But by that, I mean that line was almost the same line that she spoke to Han Solo. So I was thinking, Lan- you know, if Lando knew that, he'd be like, "Are you hitting on me?" <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that how you and Han sort of started uh, button heads and uh, getting involved? You know, uh, that's all you care about. But it did spur him into proving himself and saving the day. So, you know, nothing. I mean, it was. It's just a good, simple Star Wars story that fits within the horrible limitations that they have at this point to work with, you know? That's true. And uh, 
I mean, getting a good story and a good issue of Star Wars Marvel Comics, I mean, was probably no mean feat at this point in, in development because by this time, Star Wars was what it was. So they, you know, Lucas had the power to, to really enforce what they were doing, you know. It was, it was a big deal for them to have this franchise, so, you know, while at the same time they have this lucrative, probably the most lucrative franchise you could have at the time, licensing oh, yeah. type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, they're very limited as to what they can do with it, and God bless them, they're try, you know, they're trying their hardest to provide something that's not just goofy and stupid. So I love it. I think we're taking a definite upturn in Marvel Comics quality wise and I haven't been too upset with the quality up to this point so yeah absolutely well you know one of the one of the the things you know one of the magic tricks that comics are forced to do with huge characters you know your franchise characters like say Spider-Man or Batman or Superman is create the illusion of change right. without really ever straying too far. The, this arc right here, I think, beautifully demonstrates the illusion of change because it feels like a lot happens in this story. Yeah. But when you get right down to it, <laughs> not really, but it, it feels big. You know, it re I can remember reading this one as a kid yeah, and just thrilling this this story arc as a kid yeah. as a matter of fact i think i can't who i can't remember what the name of our tarkin character was in battle in outer space wars fartkin fartkin but we didn't we didn't we have yeah. them building a second <laughs> yeah we did a second one called the fartkin <laughs> and they had to the blow Farkin, it up yeah. yep Yep, so we, we sure actually did. stole from the, the Marvel Star... I'm sure it wasn't the only thing we stole from the Marvel comics. And, <laughs> Everything in and sight. That. So, yeah. I remember you used to... I used to... This is the first time I've read this story, but I used to hear you talk about it a lot. It just, I think this storyline, all together, both issues, it... It very effectively uses so many of the best playthings yes. and the best elements of both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Strikes Back without just feeling like, you know, we're just rehashing the movies. You know, we're just we're just doing we're just telling the same story over and over again. Because you get walkers and scout walkers. Vader's and, TIE Fighter is what I'm yeah. very happy about seeing because why wouldn't you see Vader use Vader getting in his TIE Fighter and kicking some ass, you know? Yep. And this is the first time since um, the adaptation of, of Star Wars that we've seen it. So, yeah, it's yeah. been a good long while. So that makes it that much more powerful a punch. When you see Vader come tooling out in his TIE, you're like, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Great, great. And Vader what is the... drawn beautifully in these issues. He's just, you know, they've they. There's none of that weird Carmine Infantino elongated mask or anything. He looks like Darth Vader, right down to the way he draws the reflection. You know, the material of his mask, so it looks reflective. You know. 
I, love I had a note on that, which was uh, I, I included a couple others. I put R2, 3PO, Chewie, Stor- the Stormtroopers, and Darth Vader never looked better. Yes. Yes. I, I think all of them look fantastic and, in these issues. Okay, maybe some of his dialogue with the characters was a little wonky at first, but um, Michelini can write sound effects. <laughs> you mentioned oh, yeah. one, oh, there's a Fredatch. Where's, where's my favorite? Oh, Parapoom. <laughs> Parapoom. And then three stormtroopers get shot in a row and they go, Fadam, Fakam, Fram. <laughs> Fratow, Fram. There's another Fram. Fram's a good one. Oh, we got some good Chewy dialogue. Yeah, Chewy just says, Furf. F-R-H-F. His first appearance on... Uh, oh, these pages aren't numbered, but in, in 51 he says... Grok. <laughs> what else do we got? Oh, we got Snar. Snar. <laughs> Snar. Ooh, here's Grok. When they throw those two comlings, they go punk. <laughs> Worf. He here's says another Worf. frat chow. <laughs> frat chow. Vrark. <laughs> I love these sound yes. effects. Yes. I love the Chewie dialogue. Well, Chewie dialogue's my favorite, when, though. When Vader crashes, it goes, pa-crash. It's not just crash, it's pa-crash. <laughs> that sounds like something a kid, you know, that sounds like you just took your Darth Vader TIE Fighter toy and smashed it into the wall. <laughs> pa-crash. Take that. You know, you were talking about Luke before, and I don't know why this didn't occur to me before. But Luke had to be really difficult to write during this period. Yeah. Because they didn't know, you know, here he had gone. Does he believe that this is his father? Well, not just that, but I mean, you know, he'd clearly, we had witnessed him go through the Jedi training in Empire. So the, the writers had to be asking themselves in this interim period, so is Luke a Jedi Knight or is his training incomplete or, you know, what's he going to be in the next movie? Because, you know, as much as I love the, uh, excuse me, Return of the Jedi, that is one of the things that kind of bugged me about it was that, if anything, I thought his characterization in Jedi was inconsistent only because I don't think Luke seems very different in these stories than the way he was in Empire. Right. But then you suddenly get to Return of the Jedi, and he he pretty much is a Jedi, you know? It starts right off, and he's acting very Jedi-ish. He's wearing the robes. He's wearing the uniform, the whole nine yards. And so it just seemed like a very jarring transition. Again, this is me going, you know, based off a kid not realizing that, you know, Marvel had no idea where they were going. You know, they didn't know what, what was going to happen in the next movie. Yeah, and nobody was going to tell them <laughs> yep. until they were on a need-to-know basis. So just from that perspective, I, I look at this as as being more in character than he actually is, you know, in that in that third movie. 
but it's odd looking back on that now and trying to, you know, that would have been really hard to try to figure, you know, gee, how should we be writing Luke? Should he be more Jedi-ish? Well, this... If they even knew what Jedi-ish was, you know, all they really had as an example would be Ben Kenobi. I look at these comics in almost three stages, just like the movies. And they're defined by the interim phases. They're all, except for the original six comics, they're all interim comics and the first ones and they're all three they're just you know they they have a different feel i think because they were working amongst a different set of limitations right you know and after jedi you know there were the limit you know there was a certain freedom and limitation applied to it whereas the story arc was sort of completed and they could maybe do some things with some of the characters and stuff so it's weird it flavored each each interim period between movies in a different way. That's my two cents. <laughs> but that's what else about have you all got I got. Notes? No, that's oh, about that's all you all got? I got? Yeah. I got a few things here real quick. Um, I thought it worth noting that uh, right in the opener for issue 51, we get uh, the war drags on each day, Emperor Palpatine, blah, 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 blah. And I just thought it was interesting that they actually name drop Palpatine. Yeah. Because up to this point, I don't know, have we actually seen the Emperor's real name? It was more ja- it was more jarring. No, I don't think we really have. It, it was yeah. more jarring yeah. to read it probably back then than it is now where we're really familiar with his name and like, yeah, you know, whatever. That that makes total sense. Right. Um Okay, and the part on the Mudball planet, you've got a full You've got three full-sized and one scout-sized walker to deal with one rebel? Yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit of overkill. They're bored there, they? man. There's nothing yeah, going on there. They're all they're all just climbing into it. There were probably six others, like, running to catch up. And another thing is, another little <laughs> note that I just remembered is, like, when, in the beginning on the Gundark planet, Man, three PO's climbing up on mushrooms. Oh, he's running oh, back right. to the ship, and he's she's like, "Jump up there and do the <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump up there, C three PO." That's a good yeah, idea. He, does, he actually does like a Tarzan swing, but up onto the top of that mushroom plant. I, you're right. I liked I liked Michelini's line where three PO's like, "It's working. He's coming towards me," and then it stops, and then he goes, "Oh my, <laughs> that was yep. that's perfect. That's that." sounds like it should that's right out of c-3po's mouth i could never describe this so i'm not even gonna try but i love the looks of the gundarks in this i I really think they're cool i like that they're sort of like these weird lizard things with and they're not toothy they have big long tongues that just grab onto you and are really either sticky or barbed or something but they hold on yeah and she she screws them up by getting them to shoot their tongues out and getting their tongues tied in a knot. It almost looks in that one panel like like maybe their mouths are almost like a uh, like a beak type mouth, like a like a what is that, an octopi or a, or or a squid, a squid or something? Yes. Yeah, like a squid. Yeah, they're sort of like a Ugh. dinosaur lizard squid. They have long plesiosaur <laughs> um, necks. Yeah, and they've got a little bit of ronto in them actually. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. But um, and, uh, again, these pages aren't numbered, which is really driving me crazy. 
But on the page where uh, Luke finally makes it back to his X-Wing fighter, he tells R2 to fire up the converters, which is the last thing he says before they leave uh, Dagobah Mm -hmm. in The Empire Strikes Back. I just thought it was worth noting. It's another one of those things where they pick out little things just to add a little more, you know, a little more lingo from the actual films. Now, I thought there was one... I say realism, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah. There was a moment here I thought was kind of goofy in it where oh shoot I don't know if I could actually find it again here oh yeah where they're going to the planet and it says that they're uh, they're going to have the Millennium Falcon listed as a spice freighter when they go ahead and dock on this planet and I'm thinking really wait a minute yeah they have to smuggle spice that means it's illegal right so if they're listed as a spice freighter that would be like you know pulling into a a parking garage somewhere and being listed as drug dealers car well yeah but it's by the same token what happens though the troopers come up and go to lando say this looks like the ship that you know that that's in a lot of trouble and lando goes well, maybe, but I don't think it is. But I think I'm really, oh, you caught me. I'm smuggling drugs. And gives them, you know, well, I guess I'm going to have to turn them over to you. And they go, oh, yes. And they, you know, so he basically bribes them and then runs right. out before they realize that they've been hornswoggled. And he gave them the, like, slime yeast from the food <laughs> yeah. thing or whatever. I like that part. But, you know, I mean... Yeah, but that that I mean that's sort of realistic, you know, that you would have in the empire I imagine there's a lot of corruption and you know, just like yeah. the Nazis, there were a lot of people who were like, "Eh, you know, I don't really side with the empire, but they're winning and I'm in this nice position and I could get all these bribes and, you know, I'm sure right. there was a lot of that going on." So, that I thought that was kind of a neat scene. On the subject of the planet, Hockaleg <laughs> Really? I don't know. What. <laughs> uh, Half the time, maybe it was some inside joke or something with the with the writers or artists or something. You never know. It could be some yeah. Easter egg for somebody, <laughs> just like in the Toy Story 3 parking lot scene. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. You'll get a kick out of this. When uh, when Luke is coming up with the plan to get their, uh, their uh, outfits... Their worker uniforms. He tells the princess that the, he says the quickest way to do that, princess, is for you to use your feminine wiles. This was the first time I ever heard feminine heard of feminine wiles as a kid was when I read that because I looked at this and I said, what? "Wills, wiles, willies, what the hell is a feminine wiles?" I had no pull idea. Her boobs out or something? What's going <laughs> on here? What are <laughs> feminine wiles? Awesome. I want to see them. That would have been awesome. The shot of uh, of Vol headed to his secret rendezvous near the end. Uh, it's actually on the last page of issue 51. That angle shot right there, looking at him getting in the elevator, that's the same angle shot from Star Wars when it shows uh, uh-huh. Luke Han and Chewie headed to the elevator. Uh-huh. It's the same exact one. Um. My last note for 51, and I've only got a couple for 52, but my last note on this is just overall about the story. You know, at the time, the creative team at Marvel, you know, that was working on this, didn't understand why Lucasfilm shot down their idea of making another Death Star, second Death Star in this story. 
So all they did was they, you know, they reconfigured their their space station, you know, made it a giant gun basically, and called it the Tarkin instead of calling it the second Death Star, you know, little suspecting that they they hit. They were a little closer than they thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And this isn't the last time this would happen either. Um, I'll point it out when it happens. But a little bit further along, another um, element, major element of Return of the Jedi pops up in these uh, pre-Return of the Jedi comics. So I'll point that out when it comes up. But I got a real kick out of that. But yeah, I was reading an article with uh, somebody from this creative team not long ago where they were going, I had no idea. All I knew was they shot my story <laughs> idea down, and I was like, well, I thought it was a good idea. And he, you know, so he thought it was the merits of the story, not realizing he completely stumbled onto exactly the plot of the next movie. See, if you were a wily <laughs> enough Star Wars writer at that point, you got they could have thrown out a bunch of stories to see, you know, to try to guess what was going to happen to see what got shot down to predict what the next movie would be but at the same point if i was in that position i still wouldn't want to know so but i don't know if i could resist (laughs) all right first page of issue 52 that third panel what is that thing that looks like a pink world war ii bomber plane it's right on the opening page you mean yeah first page of issue 52 third panel at the top you see it? I think it's just a random spaceship that's like docking okay. or outside <laughs> of a view screen or something. Doesn't that look like a World War II bomber or something? It looks like a sort of modified, it looks almost like an Al Williamson type of Flash Gordon y yeah, a little bit. You're right. You're you absolutely know. right. Oh, There's shit. There's a lot of you Al Williamson y elements to this. I think. I cannot believe we've gotten this deep in the episode, and I totally forgot. I wanted to lead this episode off with just a, a brief remembrance and, and mention yeah. of the past Al Williamson. I'm so ashamed that I forgot that. But yeah, if, if you out there in listener land have not heard, um, we did recently lose. Al Williamson, and uh, it was a real blow. Actually, Chris, you were the one that uh, that post you posted something up on Facebook about it. That was the first I heard about it, and uh, what a blow! What what a what a serious blow! Because you know, I had just recently finished tracking down the uh, the trades to Classic Star Wars by um, Dark Horse that reprints all of Al Williamson's. Um, newspaper strip stuff that he did with uh archie goodwin which i've never read that stuff you know because you know as i know i've said a million times on this show you know you and i grew up when they were running the russ manning stuff in the paper but i finally tracked it down and i had just started reading that stuff a couple of days ago and really enjoying it too it's really some fine stuff when uh when i read that so just wanted to make a mention of that passing really really sad news and uh our our thoughts and prayers go out to his friends and family um gosh that brought the show right down for yeah, a man. moment <laughs> thanks davy downer sorry about that that's okay um, man. that's i got two last quick notes um Leia's hat her I know it's supposed to be look like some sort of like minor worker hat or something but it looks completely ridiculous. Yeah, and that <laughs> it looks that, like she's her minor huh? her the 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 pockets on the back of her minor pants do not flatter her butt at all. I'm very upset. <laughs> Carmine Infantino would have fleshed out that butt a lot more to work out work around those pockets. 
Oh, you're right, because that panel where she's like bending over and shooting yes. those two troopers, she's got a ginormous ass yes. in that picture. Right. Yes, Walt Simonson is great, but he just doesn't go for the junk in the trunk like um, Carmine Infantino did. And she still she still looks good in the uh, in oh, the upper torso. Oh, don't get me so. wrong, she's not. Yeah, he doesn't make her look ugly. But Carmine you know Infantino, what the best thing is? Carmine Infantino was enhancing Princess Leia left and right. Usually left and right at the same time. Usually. I like... I, I you know, I, I'll, I'll give him a, a complete pass on her butt because he doesn't draw her with the damn buns on her ears, though. Yeah. I, I was pretty tired of that by the time we finally made well, it but, to this you era. Know, Empire did establish that the buns were just sort of a Star Wars thing. She was past the buns by Empire. <laughs> Last note, but it is a major one. Um, gosh, I'm, I, I could just gush about this one all day. Vader overcoming the uh, being blown out the airlock and using the force to just like walk against the wind back into the ship. That is still one of my top moments in this entire series. There's something about this sequence and the way it's drawn. I fucking love that, man. That is so cool. That this guy, this Imperial, thinks, you know, this is it. He even said, as he pushes the button, he says, Die, you sorceress slug, die. And he pushes the button to blow Vader out, thinking, Well, that's it. We've done it. And then Vader just walks against the wind and comes right back into the. That's. God yeah. damn, that's cool. And I would love to see this as a visual in like Clone Wars or something, some sort of homage to this, you know, where where maybe Anakin does the same type of thing. I think that would be really cool. But that's uh, that's all I got on this one. I, I you know I really do think that this story still holds up. I think it's really fantastic. I think the resolution of the of the thing is a little quick and simple. It's it's very comical to think that you know the way it reads is that like just Leia just crossed the wires. Switch. Yeah, yeah. She she pulled out. She the literally red says, the "I crossed some wires too." <laughs> that's that's you know, I just imagine like a, a negative wire and a positive wire, and she just switched the two of them, and that caused this this yeah. gigantic planet-sized space station to blow itself. Yeah, up. the engineers never <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> Just make sure you hook up these two wires right. Oh, you get these reversed. Oh, I don't want to be around when that happens. Huh? <laughs> but that's it on that one. And, you know, we, uh, as, as is going to happen from time to time, again, made a mistake. We are, It turns out we are actually not fully done yet with uh, Carmine Infantino. He he does come back again He's for back. uh for for 53 and 54 that we'll be covering next time but simonson's there too so and he's waiting for him Visit our website at 2 
twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.